Amen. All right. Let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And let's go ahead and, and stand. And we're going to read four, three verses. I read the first two so you understand. And I went over a little bit to begin with. The first two kind of tells you why God gave this to them. It says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You know, if you think about it, isn't that what God's done for you? He brought you out of the land of Egypt, and He brought you out of the sin bondage. And so He gives you ten um, commandments, and the last one's a little bit longer than the other ones before that. It says in verse number 17, it says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor is manservant, nor is maidservant, nor is ox, nor is ass, nor anything that is, is thy neighbor's. And so we're going to look at coveting tonight. It's a little bit more difficult subject to speak about because it goes many different directions. And I just want you to um, just pray and have an open mind and understand what coveting really is. And God tells us that He doesn't want it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the words that You give us. And I thank You for this 10th commandment we can look at tonight. And may we understand that You have something for us with it. And Lord, this is one that we can hide a lot. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we know sometimes we do covet things. And Lord, may we get to the point where we see it and we change who we are because of who you are. And Lord, we thank you for these Ten Commandments, that they govern us, they tell us what we need to do and how to act. And Lord, we're thankful for that, having that direction in our life for that. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First commandment, thou shalt what? Have no other gods before me. The second one is what? No graven images. The third one, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth one, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The fifth one, honor your father and mother. Your sixth one, thou shalt not kill. Seventh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, thou shalt not steal. Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. And then we have ten, thou shalt not covet. And we're going to look at this and wrap this all up as we, we get to this. But I want to kind of explain to you what coveting is. And most people know coveting is found in the Bible numerous times. And, and it's, it's given to us here because it's very prominent in our life. The coveting means this, to desire wrongfully or without due regarding, regarding for the rights of others. Now let me read that one more time. To desire wrongfully or without due regards for the rights of others. Taking something in your mind that's not really yours. And so I want to just break this down and kind of tell you what God thinks of it. I'm going to look at what the Apostle Paul thinks of it, and I'm going to give you two ways to break coveting. It's very simple with that, but yet it's very complex. The first one is, what does God think of it? If you turn to Psalm 10, verse 3, um, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but at the last three words, it says that the coveting, that the Lord abhorreth that. That's a strong dislike. He doesn't want you to do this, and there's a reason He doesn't want you to do it, and we'll get to that at the very end. God gives us examples in, in Exodus chapter 20. It's one of the few that He gives you an example with. Go back to Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 17. He gives you a list. The first one is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Then it says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet... The, the, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is in, in thy neighbor's. And if you break all these things down, this is what it's talking about. You shouldn't covet somebody else's household. You shouldn't look at their house and say, I wish that. Because every house has problems, amen? You don't know it until you buy it. We bought a house in Illinois. The lady said, we noticed everything was freshly painted on the floor in the basement. 
And we noticed it, and we noticed there were some cracks in the foundation, but we asked the guy, we said, does, it, does the water come into this thing when it rains? He said, oh no, we hardly ever have water. We bought the house, within a week we had a big, big rain, and it looked like a water fountain downstairs in our basement. I mean, water was shooting up from everywhere. I wonder how many times they had to paint it before they sold it. We had to get, we had to get things to come in and, and do all this work underneath, have a drain all the way around the outside. But you don't know what you're getting, so don't covet things like that. The next one says, the, the, the neighbor's wife. It's talking about a spouse. You're not supposed to covet that. We all have our problems with that, amen? And this is actually referring back to another um, commandment that's on there. Now, the, other, the next ones are kind of confusing. It's, it's the workers that they have. The maids and, and, and the, the men that work there, you're not supposed to covet those either. Then he breaks it down and he gives you two different animals. And I kept thinking, why does he give two different animals? Why doesn't he just say one? There's a reason, because those two animals mean something totally different. The oxen are the work animals. The ass is an is a, is animal that you ride. It's, it's a leisure animal. So he's saying, don't, don't want something that is a work situation. Don't want whatever your neighbor's work is, and don't want what, what his leisure is. And then to sum it all up, if you didn't hit any of those, he does the last one, and he just says anything. Now, we could, we could covet anything, and it's easy to do. It's easy to covet a car. It's easy to covet things. And no one knows you're coveting it. But God says, listen, he abhors it. He doesn't want you to do it. And there's a reason for that. The second thing I want you to see is what does the Apostle Paul write about coveting? There's some verses I want you to look at. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes this. We're going to look at two, two stories, that, two um, passages that he writes. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Mortify therefore your members. What does this mean? Say no to yourself. Just say no to yourself. The word mortify is where we get the mortify. It's, it's death. Give death to yourself. Because why? Look what's coming in on with this. Therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanliness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and covetousness. Now watch these last three words. Which is what? Idolatry. He says coveting is idolatry. That's a pretty strong word. It's a pretty strong word to say. And he says, listen, it's idolatry. You need to stay away from it. It's, it's, you're putting something above what, you, what it's not even yours and you're wanting it. Doesn't that sound like the second commandment? Man, it just hits all these things. Then go to something else he writes. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And there's, some, there's another list in here. In verse number 10 it says, Yet not all together with the fornicators of this world, nor with the covetous, nor extortioners, nor idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. Verse number 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. That's a pretty strong word. That means, hey, you're not even supposed to be around these people. It say, it, it, and mention, look at this. Look who it mentions with this. This is a pretty, pretty bad group of people. Um, go, go to these and look. It says uh, fornicators, extortioners, idolaters. It's putting it in the same lump sum as what, this, what, what a covetous person is. Now, you've got to understand what covetous means. 
Paul puts these all with these all these bad things because he understood what coveting was. I, I could get in another verse, but it's, it's just too long and drawn out to go to it. But as if you look at these, the last six um, commandments, look at the first, the, the fifth one is the father and mother. That requires actions and sometimes words to honor your mother and father. Killing deals with action in the Old Testament, thoughts in the New Testament. The next one, adultery, is actions in the Old Testament, thoughts in the New Testament. The word steal means actions, and we talked about words. You can say things and steal things from people. Remember, you don't just steal objects. You can steal personality. You can steal character. You can steal all these things by what you say. And then the last one that we looked at was lying, and those sometimes refer actions and words. The problem lies with coveting is it, it only deals with one area. And it's your, it's your mind, it's your thought process. And you know what? I can hide a lot of things. If my wife were to make supper and I really didn't like it, and she said, do you like this? I can hide that. Oh, yeah, I like it. I like it, yeah. And I've been to other places where people have made things. Do you like it? Her, her, her father-in-law tricked me one time and, and made, um, I do not like eggplant. And I thought it was veal parmesan, it was eggplant parmesan, and I ate helpings, second, two helpings with it. And I remember, I never lived that down. He to this day thinks it's funny that I ate eggplant. That's good for you, I don't like it. Um, and, and I was thinking about this, the 10th covenant is a mindset, it is a thought process. I, I, I saw this in a writing, it said, the problem with coveting is this, it, the wrong thought admitted nourishes the wrong desire, which in time gives birth to the wrong action. Let me read that one more time. The wrong thought admitted nourishes the wrong desire, which in time gives birth to the wrong action. That's what coveting will do. It doesn't necessarily have to be, because sometimes we'll equate it to a, a wife or somebody like that, but it can mean just a car. <laughs> you ever coveted a car? Um, and sometimes we, we, we equate these things with children. Let's think about teenagers. Is there anything you've ever equated? I know what I, what I, what I would do all the time is tennis shoes. Anybody like tennis shoes in here? You look at tennis shoes, you go, wow. I remember when the Michael Jordan shoes first came out, they were $100. There's no way in God's green earth my dad was ever going to buy me $100 tennis shoes. Just wasn't going to happen. I had to wait until the other players started making their shoes because they weren't so as expensive. But we can covet things all, all day. And, and we can hide things. You know what? God wants us to change our direction. He wants to change our mindset. So these are the two points I just want you to see real quick. And I'm, we're going to go over this and go over this and go over this so you got it. How do you overcome thou shalt not covet? The first thing you must do is this. Control your thoughts. It's just as simple as that. It is a mindset. You have to control your thoughts. I want to hear, I want to hear you say that. Control my thoughts. Control my thoughts. That's what I have to do. That's coveting. There's no easy way to do it. You've got to control your thoughts. Well, how do you do that? Well, let's look at some verses in the New Testament. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to see this. To control your thoughts, you must realize that God knows your thoughts, right? I said that this morning, and I had someone ask me when they were going through today, this morning, I said, what do you mean by that? Control your thoughts, that Jesus knows your thoughts. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to see this. You'll see what I'm saying when, he, when, he, when you read this. Matthew chapter 9, and verse number 1 says this. 
And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now watch verse number three. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves. That's our way of saying they thought it. And this is what they said, this man blasphemeth. Now watch what Jesus said. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? And I can tell you, if he does it here, he, does, he knows you. He knows your thoughts. So you've got to control them. Well, how do you control your thoughts? Paul again writes, go to Philippians. I know we're turning to a lot of verses here, but I want you, I want you to see this. You've got to control what you're thinking. Because your thoughts will take you to a place you don't want to go. And people know that all the time. Advertising does it. I'll be watching something on TV at night, and all of a sudden, I want a Dunkin' Donut right now. And everybody knows Dunkin' Donuts is a, is a morning meal, not an evening meal. But I mean, it just affects you. Your mind will affect you. It will control you. Have you ever done something and go, I can't believe I just did that? I can't believe I just thought that. We've got to control our minds. Because our minds will take us further than we want to go. They will. And your mind is a very powerful thing. If you think someone doesn't like you, guess what? Everybody they talk to doesn't like you. Right? We've got to control our mind. Go to Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to see these verses. And we're going to read a few verses in here. It says in this, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What does that mean? Good, bad, indifferent. You've got to rejoice in the Lord. Because we always have something to be thankful for. And it's a mindset again. You can be negative about anything, right? <laughs> Does anybody ever like to be negative? I do. I mean, sometimes I see the cup half empty rather than half full. And so it's just the way you perceive things. It's the way you think. You know, when, when I, Larry didn't know this, when I called on Bernard to pray and you prayed, I was like, what just happened? And then I look and, and then I thought, did I say the wrong person? And then I knew I said the right person because Regina's over there laughing. And I was like, oh my word, you know, we're going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes, but it's all the way you perceive yourself. What do you think? How you think? What are you going to put in your life? What is going to make you have a positive thought? The Bible says you need to rejoice. There's always going to be problems. And when you have children, sometimes you're so embarrassed of your children. But you were just like them. You were. They get it from you. And you go, how could they ever do that? And then you go, oh, yeah. And I could see you talking to your mother-in-law and saying, was Larry like that? Yes, he was. Because that's how we are. We need to rejoice no matter what, good, bad, or indifferent. Now look what else Paul says. Paul, if there's anybody in, this, in the writings in the Bible, he understood what it meant for this commandment because he also was very strong about the thought process I wonder how many times Paul thought to himself if I would have just gone my own way what would have happened but that was not the plan for him because there's one thing that Paul was he was all in and the only thing that would get him all out was his thought process 
And he says in verse number four, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now watch this. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And then verse number six, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This is very important with your thought process is your prayer life. Because if you don't have a good prayer life, your thought life is going to be not very good. It's something that keeps you in check. You've got to control your thoughts. You've got to control your, your mind. And then he goes on and he says this, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. How many of you want that? Man, you, just, you, you know no matter what happens, you just want that peace. When the storms come and the storms go, you need to see that there's a peace there. And that's a great thing to have. But watch what he says. He says, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your what? Hearts, your soul, and what? Your mind. Have you ever made this statement in your mind? I think I've lost my mind. I have made some decisions I did not pray about. I just did it. I, I have some thought processes that I'm not controlling. And it doesn't take very long for a good day to be a bad day real quick. Right? I mean, you can go from a very high to a very low just in the thought process. Someone could say something to you and trigger that. And so here he says, listen, the peace of God, it'll control your heart and your mind. But the key to this is the way you control your mind. You can't do it. Look at this verse. The only way you control your thought and your mind is through Jesus Christ. You walk with him. He talks with you. He walks along the way with you. All of a sudden you realize, hey, it's not me that's doing this. It's God. Sometimes as a preacher you sit there and go, people, are mad. people get mad at me. Obviously they do. They get mad at just like they get mad at you. And you just got to go on, go forward. And work through it and don't let your mind be developing a sense that go, everybody's out to get you. I know preachers that are like that. We've got to get this and we've got to control our mind. Now watch this. Then he gives you this list. This is how you control it. He says the word finally because he's wrapping it up. And he says, finally, brethren, those are people that are Christians. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what's the next word? Think. It goes back again to your mind. Your mind is a very powerful object. I've heard people say, if you think you can't do it, you probably can't. And your mind is a very powerful object. When I was playing basketball in high school, I shot over 90% from the, from the free throw line. And when you go from high school to college, there's no difference in the free throw line, no difference in the basketball, no difference from the height. Everything's the same. But I went from over 90% in high school, which I shot a lot of free throws, to when I went to college, I was shooting about 55 to 60%. You want me to tell you what the difference was? My coach made fun of me. And I got it in my mind that I couldn't do it. I literally, Denver, would get up on a free throw line and freak out inside. I was just going all over the place. And I hate the rule now that you can't make any noise when someone shoots a free throw. I'd rather it be a yelling and hollering game where they're yelling your name if they don't like you and they're yelling your name if they like you. And I would get up there and shoot. And it was like everybody's staring at me and I'd miss almost every shot. One time it was a, a crucial part of the game and, and um, 
I prayed more on the free throw line in, in college basketball than I've ever prayed in my life. I remember one time we got it to a very crucial part of the game and the guy fouled me and I had to go up to the free throw line. We called a timeout and the coach pulled us in and said, listen, when you go out there, he pointed to the other guy, he goes, you go to the line and see if they notice it. I was like, that's got to bring your confidence level way up. And so we tried it and I, and I looked guilty. I was sitting on the line going like this. And the guy said, oh, no, 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 it's not you, it's 23. 23 has got to get up and shoot. And Bernard, when I shot that first shot, there must have been angels holding on to that basketball because I shot a brick and it went in. I mean, no arch went in. I was like, wow. And, and I looked over and the coach is rolling his eyes at me. Well, that didn't help either. I like it where you pat each other and say, hey, good job, good job. You can do it again. I was, like, I was sweating bullets at the time. I got up and shot another one and I made it. And I remember coach putting his arm around me and said, I didn't think you could do it. I was like, what in the world is wrong with you? You start thinking something, guess what? It's going to change you. It's going to change you. So it is a mindset to control your mind. How do you, how do, you do that? Well, Paul answers that too. Continue reading a couple verses down and he makes a statement. He makes this statement. In verse number 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. See, when you're content, you're not coveting. You're happy with what you have. There's always going to be someone that's better than you in every situation. I know you're going to have a hard time believing this. If you're a lady, you like to cook, there's always going to be a better cook. If you're a man and you like to hunt, there's probably a better hunter. There's a better fisherman. There's a better golfer. There's, I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. There's always someone better. If you're a teacher, there's a better teacher. If, you're, if you work with heating and air, there's a better heating and air. If you're an accountant, there's a better accountant. But we can't sit back and go, wow, I wish I had this. And you're never content with where you are because when you're, when you're not content with where you are, it will affect your, your, your thought process. And it will destroy you. It will destroy you. And Paul knew that. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. This is an acquired taste. You have to make yourself, make yourself learn it. It's not something that comes natural. But no matter where you are, the state you're in, you have to be happy with the state you're in. Do you remember when you were growing up and you kept looking at certain ages that you wanted to be? The first thing you wanted to be was a teenager. 12 was not old enough. You wanted to be 13. Then what's the next section that you want to be? 16. Why do you want to be 16? Because you get your driver's license, which is, I'm, I'm telling you right now, being 51 years old, it need, they need to raise the age up. Anyway, um, so... So you get 16, and then when you get 16, what do you want? You want to get out of high school. You want to be 18. The world can't wait until they're 21. Because then they can drink legally. I mean, we just live this whole life where we're just wanting to go to this next stage, and sometimes we forsake the stage that we're in. I've got, we got our little hoodlum with us this week, and she's three years old. And I love her. I don't want her to be six. I want her to be three. Last night, I know this is probably not good, but right before I go to bed, I ate two fudge rounds. And I'd walk by, my, by, walk by her room, and, and she'd look at me, and she'd go, and then she went like this. 
And so I had the fudge around in my, in, my, in my hand, and she goes, can I have a bite? And there's a couple things wrong with that. There's a lot of sugar before she goes to bed. And secondly, she's sleeping on a white comforter. So I said, here, take this. And she took, took a bite, and later on I walked by again, and she was, she's like, and I went, shh. And I snuck in there, and I gave her one, and I walked off. I don't want her to grow up and, and be 15 right now. I want to enjoy three. I want to enjoy the state that she's in. People say, well, I wish I could go back in time. I don't. Today, today scares me. The world scares me with what some of these kids have to go through. It's a rough world. But we've got to get to understanding what Paul says when he says, not that I speak in respect of want. He didn't understand everything, but he said, listen, I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, there with to be content. By the way, when did, where did he write this book? That's what you've got to understand. He wrote this book, the, the book of, the Philippian book, to what? The church of Philippi when he was what? In jail. So you think he lived it? Absolutely he did. The first thing you need to do is control, I need to control my thoughts. Let's say it together. Control my thoughts. Now that almost has the appearance of just things around you going, just getting ready to go forward. But the second one, you got to do this. Be driven by love. So many people are driven by hatred. This is your heart. Go to Romans chapter 13. Paul again writes this. Romans chapter 13. And he says in verse number 9, he's repeating some of these... these um, Commandments, he says in verse number nine, he says, For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Now watch this. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You love your neighbor as yourself, and you're committed to this love, and you're moving forward with this love, you're not going to steal from them. You're not. You're not going to lie about them. You're not going to covet what they have. You're not going to kill them. And you're going to honor your mother and father. All these things are going to take place if you understand that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about the love. And I'm not going to do, we're not going to sing Kumbaya and get around in a, in a circle in, in, in a campfire and do that tonight. But I'm going to tell you something, there's something about this love having the right attitude. When you have the wrong attitude about somebody, somebody called me the other day and asked me from another ministry, asked me a question, and, and I said, have you prayed for that person? Wow. I said, do you think God wants you to do that? Well, yeah. And I said, so why are you not doing it? Because, and he was very blunt, blunt with me, he goes, because I don't want to. Now, we get, we get upset about that, but you know what? We do the same thing. If you love somebody, if you care for somebody, and you treat them as your neighbor, as yourself, you're driven by love. When you are driven by coveting, are you driven by love or by circumstance? By circumstance. And we always hear this, watch, the grass is always what? Greener on the other side. That is not true. How many times have you ever been driving down the road and you see a cow stick his head all the way through the fence to eat grass on the other side? And the grass that's right where his feet are is the same grass, but he has to stick it over there and eat that because he thinks it's better. We've got to understand in our life, we covet things, it makes us not where we're supposed to be. We are supposed to have love in our heart. 
Well, you don't understand my situation. It doesn't matter your situation. Paul, when he was in jail, said that he had learned, whatsoever state he was, to be content. Now remember, coveting is a, is a thought process. You can hide it. But we also already examined that Jesus knows what you're thinking. And so we've got to get it under check, and we've got to control it, and it's got to be driven by love. Let's go to another verse that he writes. Let's go to um, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Here he writes some more verses in verse number 12. It says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now watch this. Look at the next verse. And above all things, put on charity. That is the word that we use for what? Love. Which is the bond of perfectness. See, your mind is a very powerful thing. You can change, you can, you can change the aspect of your, of your life if you just control your mind. You say, well, Pastor Wayne, that's kind of hard to do. No, it's not. Not if you let Christ lead you. I want you to see this, and we're almost done. Go back. The key to, to this, to, to coveting, is found in Exodus chapter 20. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start there. We've got one more verse, and then I want you to see something. Exodus chapter 20. You know what the key is to this? Let's go through these, these um, commandments. I think the first one's found in verse number three. The first one is what? No other gods before me. Second one is what? Graven images. Third one, take the Lord's name in vain. Fourth one, remember the Sabbath. Fifth one, sixth one, seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, thou shalt not steal. Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. And ten is what? Okay, all those ten were listed. You know what the key to this doing the coveting thing is? There is only, Brother Shoup, one commandment it covers all of them. It's not 10. It's not 9. It's not 8. It's not 7. It's not 6. It's not 5. It's not 4. It's not 3. It's not 2. It's number 1. Because when you go to number 1 and you control your mindset, 10 will, 10 will not take effect. You're never going to be perfect. But go back to number 1. No other gods before me. You know when you have no other guys before me, you know what you're covered with? Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's all got to do with love. Well, you don't understand what I'm going through. I don't care what you're going through. God still loves you. And he wants love in you. You've got to control your thoughts. You've got to be driven by love. You know why we covet? Why do we covet? I want you to put in your mind, I want you to think this. We covet because we are, and then just think this, this blank. I want Just for a second, I want you to think. And I'm going to tell you why you covet things. Hmm. Starts with the letter S. We covet because we are selfish. We, cover, we covet things because we're selfish. We want something that's not ours. We want someone that's not ours. We want the work that's not ours. 
We want the leisure that's not ours. We want anything that's not ours. And it's because we're selfish. If you're wanting to know who you love the most, look in a mirror. We love ourselves. And that's why we covet. So how do you do this? You control your mind. Not everything you think is correct. (laughs) If you don't believe that, ask someone you know. And we all think different. The The second thing is, not only do we need to control our thoughts, we need to be driven by love. What, what kept Christ on the cross? His love for you. And he wants us to be like him. That's why Paul could say, I have learned in the state that I'm in, in jail, that I'm content with where, you are, where I am. That's just hard to believe someone could write that. Isn't it? To me, I read that and I go, how in the world could he write that? And the jails back then were nothing like the jails of today. People would die in the jails and just being there in a short time. But how could he get back to being this unselfish person? That's why the Philippian jailer didn't kill himself. Because Paul was not coveting all the great things that he needed to do. That's why I like going on missions trips. Because then you really realize what you have in the United States. We live in the greatest country, but we have the most things of any other country. And that's what causes coveting. I don't think there's a lot of coveting over in some third world countries. Not as much as there is in the United States. I want you to turn to one last verse, and I want you to read, we're going to read it together. Here's what you've got to do. How much, how, how, have you ever heard this? My dad would say this. You need to do your diligence. I thought, what in the world is diligence? Do your diligence. How many of you ever heard that before? Okay, I'm, all right. Do your diligence. This means plan everything. Make sure you know what you're doing. Go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and I want you to see this verse. You've got to control your mind, which will control your heart. You've got to be driven by love to get through this. You think we can, we think we can hide what, we, what, we, what we're thinking, and we can't. God sees right through us. God sees who you are. God knows who you are. But then there's this verse, if you would just have no other gods before him, and we covet because we're selfish, Proverbs 4, and follow along in verse number 23. I'm going to read it once, then you're going to read it with me. It says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Let's read it one more time. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's just that simple. You know, when Christ came in to your heart, your soul, you ask him in, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And the Holy Spirit needs to be fed. You've got to ask for that filling. And then if you don't, Things will, you'll stop naturally doing things that you need to do. When I asked the guy, have you been praying for him? You know, my next question to him was, have you been reading your Bible? Not really. 
Well, how in the world do you think you're going to act like Christ if you don't know who, what, what Christ is telling you in His Word? Your heart, with all diligence, it's the issue of life. You say, well, how do I do this? You just give Him, every, give him everything. Give Him everything. Didn't He give you everything? Absolutely He did. And when I think of what Christ has done for me, and He was thinking about me on the cross, Peter, I have a hard time wanting to covet things. What did He tell, what did he tell His disciples? He said, you won't know where your head's going to lay. You won't even have a pillow to lay it on most of the time. That's my own paraphrase of it. You know what? I know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I have a favorite pillow. Do you have a favorite pillow? Don't touch my favorite pillow. My wife has a favorite pillow. Can you imagine not having a favorite pillow? Can you imagine not having the things that we do? And then we covet. Why? Don't we have enough? I think so. And Jesus is looking at when you're coveting over this because you're not happy and you're coveting over this because you're not happy. He looks down and goes, why do I do these things for them? Why should I even do more things for them when they're not happy with what I've given them? We shouldn't be coveting things. Tenth commandment. Do the first one. It'll cover all of them. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Control your thoughts as your mind races. Be driven by love. That's how you don't covet. Because when you start thinking of people as yourself and loving your neighbor as yourself, you will change your perspective of who you are. Sometimes when you look at yourself in the perspective of what God has for you, you truly realize how great He is and how terrible we are. Lord, I, I love you and I'm so thankful that you brought me to this church. I'm thankful for the people in here. But Lord, I, I think of this 10th commandment because sometimes it's so easy to look out and say, I wish I had this or I wish I could get this. And sometimes we go by any means to do it. And sometimes this coveting is the first part of thou shalt not commit adultery. Sometimes this coveting is thou shalt not kill. And sometimes this coveting is thou shalt not steal and, and bearing false witness and all these other things that this just runs hand in hand with them. So they're so intertwined. And Lord, you gave these commandments to us to make us better people for you. May we get back and understand we need to control our mind the way we think. May we get back to understanding that we need to be driven by love. People treat us wrong. We still need to treat them right. We don't need to have enemies. And we don't need to covet. May we get back to understanding that we should have no other gods before us. Thank you for your word. And thank you for these Ten Commandments that we've looked at May we just apply them in our lives. 
So when we go to work or we see our family or we see our neighbors, that they'll see that there's something different about us because we are governed by God's Word. And Lord, we thank you for the things that you've given us. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you could stand for us. It's not going to be a long invitation tonight. But I want to ask you this. God knows your thoughts. He knows if you have problems coveting. He knows if you're not happy with where you are. And the grass is not always greener on the other side. It's not. Cars have their problems. Churches have their problems. Houses have their problems. People have their problems. Possessions have their problems. God just wants you to be content. I'm just so thankful for what God's done for me. I'm thankful for the blessings that he's given us. If you're someone in here, you just need to pray over something. Don't just sit in your pew. Don't just, you can either sit down in your pew or come up to this old-fashioned altar and just thank the Lord for what he's done. You know what the problem with coveting? With no one looking around, it's because we're not thankful. It's wrapped up in we're selfish and we're not thankful. And I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm preaching to all of us. Because sure as the world as this gets over, I'm going to see a car driving down the road that I want. I'm going to see something that I would like to have. And then sometime I'm going to think, well, why don't I have one of those? If he'll start feeling sorry for myself, get selfish in there, get these selfish thoughts in there, and guess what? Then I'm not content with where I am. We've got to get back to understanding we need to be content. We don't need to be coveting things. Lord, I thank you for these people. May we be a thankful generation. May people at Bible Baptist Church in this area be someone that people could look at and say, man, they sure are thankful for what they have. They might not be perfect, but they sure are thankful for what they have. May we truly understand what thou shalt not covet means. And may we realize that, God, you can read, you know what exactly what we're thinking every step of the way. Be with this altar time that we'll just be thankful for what we, what we have and who, what you've done for us. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a second, Lee's going to start singing with no one looking around. When's the last time you thank God for what he's done for you? When's the last time you thank God for what he's done for you? As the invitation starts.